Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar. I am the Global Head of Strategy here at Credit Sites. And today we're discussing an event that I actually did not attend. So a lot of this information is going to be new to me. You'll get to hear my live reaction. We're going to talk about the recent European Leverage Finance Roadshow that my colleagues in the London office hosted. And I have two of our esteemed colleagues, Brian Studioso, our European Head of Research for Credit Sites, and Luke Miller, our Global Editor-in-Chief of Leftman Insights, to talk all about that roadshow. Brian, Luke, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Winnie. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, you say it's a pleasure now. We'll see how this actually goes. (laughs) So let's do a quick introduction to the conference, to this roadshow. What was it? I missed out. I'm going to need the full download on what was this conference? Where did you guys go? Who was there? And why now? Why are we hosting Levson roundtables now? Yeah. So I'll take that one. So the High Yield Conference series, it's a roadshow of sorts. We've done it for many years, and it's basically where we take our research and analysis on the road and bring it to our clients' doorsteps. This year, we visited Paris and Milan, where we presented our views on the high yield and Levfin markets. We delve into the impact of documentation and covenant trends, and we also opine on sectoral themes. We focused on single credit analysis and picks and pans across crossovers, high yield, and special situations. Over the course of the week, we met with over 85 clients, both at the venues where we held these presentations and gatherings, as well as one-on-one meetings on the side. Presenters this year really kind of brought all the business lines together into one place. So it included research analysts from credit sites, lawyers from Covenant Review, and reporters from Levfin Insights. The format, it's included standalone presentations as well as panel discussions. And we also bring in some external market experts from both the sell side and the buy side to add their insights and color in terms of what's going on in the market. That sounds like a great conference and meeting over 85 clients in just two days, right? Yeah. So it was probably stretched over four days. There was a four-hour presentation on Tuesday in Paris and a four-hour presentation in Milan on Thursday. And then we kind of fit in some meetings before, during, and after as and when we could. Also, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but Paris and Milan in June doesn't sound (laughs) terrible to me. Is there some other motivation driving this roadshow? I won't make you answer that. You're in London now. You can't plead the fifth. You're an American defector. Anyway, so what surprised you most about this conference? What was kind of your big takeaway that was a little bit of a curveball? I'll go with that one, although I'm going to cheat a little bit, Winnie, and twist your question a little bit, if I may, because it wasn't so much about what surprised me about 
conference, but I suppose the one thing that seemed to be taking the market by surprise around the time of the conference was the breaking news on Nordic real estate firm SBB. And this happened to be really quite a timely example of how the, the holy trinity of credit sites, Covenant Review and, and LFI have come together and have gone working together on what has been quite a fast moving situation. And it's pretty clear from the client discussions, this credit and the sector as a whole, as we'll come back to it, but probably a little bit later, was very much at the forefront of a lot of investors' minds. Yeah, I won't twist your question around, Winnie. I'll answer it as you asked it. I think mine's more anecdotal, though. I think amongst the sea of high-yield investors you'd expect to see at a high-yield conference or a fin conference, it was a happy surprise to actually bump into an IG account there. You know, they were there to get a better understanding of some of the themes and trends and where idiosyncratic risks lie within unfamiliar high-yield territory for them. So it was interesting and just an anecdote, but it does kind of speak to some of the existing themes within high yield regarding credit selectivity and looking for opportunities for incremental yield. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that when we talk to clients as well on the strategy side of things, the investment grade client universe is very curious about what's going on in Luffin. There are a lot of headlines around CLO resets and what's going to happen with the leveraged loan market and default expectations. And yet valuations, especially in high yield in the US and Europe, have been really sticky in a good way. And so people are trying to figure out what exactly is going on. We see all these doom and gluten ions and yet valuations are fine. What does that mean for the broader credit universe and performance? And I guess that leads me into our next topic of discussion. Where does client sentiment currently stand? I was in Frankfurt last September. And client sentiment in the European market was firmly negative. It felt like the end of the world. Is that still the case or are we shifting? No, I think I would kind of describe it as cautiously constructive. Most of the clients I spoke with were looking to add a bit more risk. I think selectivity is a key word here that needs to be included if you're going to categorize it as cautiously constructive. And to do this, they're looking at a number of ways, whether it's taking advantage of primary market activity or activity in the secondary by taking part in capital structure rebalancing exercises or rotating into other sectors and other credits, which is why they came to our conference in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I guess when it, the reason for a lot of pessimism sort of late last year was the fact that no matter which seat you sat in the leverage, you'd probably lost money. So it's very difficult to be constructive. I think now that we're six months in, returns positive, there have been no notable underwritten bridge blowups or anything, man. The market's trying to be more glass half full. And this was one thing that's very clear from speaking to investors and more on the sidelines is that they're adamant that now is finally a time where credit selection, credit work can pay off. The last few years, the market's all based roughly in the same direction. Trading strategies have been roughly the same. It's all been a little, dare I say it, dull in some ways, but, but now there is a real chance to outperform. And of course, the half glass full means people are thinking about outperform, underperforming. But they've obviously been spending a lot of time the buy side, analyzing, they spoke about this on the panels, analyzing who can afford, who companies can afford higher debt costs, who have managed to manage their capex so that they can free up cash, and which capital structures are, are unsustainable. I'd also note that feels like people are starting to push out their recession outlooks. 
maybe even dampen them a little bit. I think now consensus conference, maybe not necessarily across the market, but the conference was for the Eurozone, if there was going to be a recession early 24, as opposed to probably late 23. I think people are starting to sound rightly or wrongly a little less concerned about rates as they feel that inflation starting to be tamed. Obviously, the US inflation numbers this week were potentially supportive of that. But there are others on the sidelines who are much more concerned that inflation is going to be stickier than people expect. But if you're getting less concerned about rate rises or starting to feel that the majority of them played through, then I'd say that people are starting to get a little bit more relaxed around taking on duration. And it was notable that one of the heads of syndicates said that they expect new issues to start coming in over five years, where according to LFI data, I mean, I can't, it's 80% plus have been five years or less so far this year. It's just an indicator of that aversion to duration that there has been in the market. Yes, that duration buy-in persists. That is a very beneficial, beneficial technical for the left-in markets, just ability to, to push out those maturities a, a bit further feels like a pretty compelling opportunity. There's a lot to discuss in kind of the client sentiment and the shift in client sentiment. I'd like to go back a little bit to the view that clients can finally outperform through credit selection. Are there any big themes around that kind of credit selection that you're seeing? Is this at the sector level where beat up sectors like real estate are getting a little bit more buy-in and some of the maybe more resilient companies, or is this a focus on capital structure? What, what are kind of the themes in terms of actually conveying that sentiment in the market? Yeah, we, I mean, we pushed people to talk about, you know, shifts in trading strategies and how they're positioned and was their bias towards sectors. There were some over, overarching comments around this, I'll probably come to later. Real estate is the one that everybody is particularly bearish over, but I think really what it came across was there's idiosyncratic risk throughout all of the sectors. So you might be a big fan of TMT as a defensive sector, but there were going to be names in there. There were, you know, Altice was one name that was mentioned where maybe there's just too much debt. Maybe the capital structure doesn't work. Maybe the capex requirements are higher than people are maybe initially registering. So I think what it comes down to is outperform and underperform isn't the case of, okay, pile into healthcare and stay defensive, pile into tech and stay defense. Don't take on retail because that's all. It's a case of no, within each and every sector, you're going to get winners and losers. And do you have the ability as the analyst and PM to be able to spot those winners? So I'd say that the focus on cash flow generation, sustainable EBITDA generation, and that you're not overly levered are probably the areas where people are most focused. I'd say if you're talking about trading strategies that everybody seems to have bought into, is still the notion that you look through the 24, 25, and early 26 maturities, take a view on which of those names are likely to refinance, can refinance, and take the pull apart, uh, because most of those names are still some below par. So there's free money potentially on the table, but idiosyncratic risk, I think, probably two words that cropped up frequently. Yeah, I 
personally love a front end pull to par strategy in this market. The front end is so beat up really across the board in US, in Europe, in investment grade and high yield. And there are a lot of good opportunities there. Brian, do you have anything to, to chip in here? I mean, honestly, I think Luke did a pretty good job of taking all the thunder on that one. But but yeah, I think I've, uh, the only thing I'd add to that is, you know, there's kind of, I don't know if referring to them as the have and the have nots is the right way to do it. But, you know, companies that kind of got ahead or are getting ahead of what could be an inevitable sort of restructuring or liability management exercise, either be it with the help of some new equity from from sponsors or some other unique or creative financing activity in order to kind of address the sustainability of the capital structure issue in this higher for longer period so that they can then get over that and then focus on whatever it is the corporate strategy is, integrating an acquisition from a few years ago or, you know, improving operating efficiencies. And this is in contrast to companies because of the longer maturity runway, maybe kicking the can down the road and trying to post a recovery or improve cash flow now and position themselves with a lower cost of debt later on. We think there's kind of two strategies going on, but you know, that latter strategy can leave a lot of risk on the table. So trying to identify where those opportunities, like Luke was saying, with the sustainable capital structure and the, the stable cash flow are in finding the right time to get involved. That's great. Super helpful. And I guess on the note of sustainable or unsustainable capital structures, maybe we should talk a little bit about the primary market. What is happening across Levson Primary? Are we seeing deals getting done in the high yield and leverage loan markets? If so, are these all double B deals or are we actually seeing kind of the, the lower quality make its way through the market as well? Yeah, I mean, I'll try not to dazzle with numbers too much, Winnie, but, but yeah, I mean, according to LFI's data, in the year through May, we've had about 20 billion euro new issues in the high yield market. That's pretty much parity with the 20.2 billion in all of 2022. So shows a market pickup from last year, but as we all know, last year was well. Whereas every quarter of 2021, the, you know, the record-breaking year for the market, every quarter of that year did 22 billion plus. So we're still a long way off that. If we start to take a look at makeup of issuance so far this year, two-thirds has been refi. And just 17% has been M&A or LBO. In all of 2022, it was close to parity. It's 44%, 43%. If we take a look at the ratings, then I think it's the double Bs that are, that are currently on top with about 55% of supply having come from the double B space. That's up markedly from last year, which was dominated much more by single Bs. But again, it is difficult to make the comparisons because last is so light, but only 25% of full year supply last year was double B versus 55% so far this year. And part of this, well, we all know it's new issue yields and spike on the back of higher rates. It's well, effectively doubled cost of debt. So from the end of 21, the average new issue yield for double Bs has gone three to 7%, single Bs five to just over nine. But what I would point out is that the spread over government bonds has actually been much more contained, especially for those better rated credits. So Merlin really caught the eye a few weeks ago. I mean, it last issued in 2021. It was the first deal to 
get done after COVID really hit these shores. It was, could, I'm awarding rescue financing that has exposed all of its attractions pretty much really needed the liquidity, but it's just come back and refinanced that 200 basis points plus tighter on a spread basis than it did back then. Others have been that are there, thereabouts have been recent weeks have been crowd, crown, Ford, Aramat. These are all close to historic spreads. So companies, yes, they have to pay a higher cost of debt. They're obviously going to want to stay, not refinance into a higher cost of capital as long as they can, but actually they can take a little bit of heart from the fact that their credit risk, the amount they're paying for their for, for credit risk is, is actually hasn't really gone up at all. New issue concessions in the market, they're still needed. Investors have to be paid. The days of pricing flat for curves and through curves has gone, unless you're real top-end credit. On a rule of thumb, you probably still need 25 basis points for a double B and 50 for a single B. And, you know, just to quickly touch, as you did say, the leverage finance primary markets, it's a very similar picture in the loan space where volume numbers are roughly the same. FIs and A&Es have counted for two-thirds of that volume. And, you know, private credit continues to be a force and to offer plenty of liquidity into the market. So the debt markets, the new issue markets, feel pretty supportive, cautiously supportive, but you can get deals done. And you asked about, you know, appetite for, let's say, the, the hairier credits, the, the more stressed credits. And that's probably the most encouraging. And that we have had a few deals from, from names that have been struggling. I think Bentelor and Adley Pelzer were the two standout names in recent, recent times. And Credit Site put out a fantastic report on Adley Pelzer, Red Note, ahead of that situation coming to fruition, uh, was, was particularly prescient. And then you see Pedrion issued at 84, so it showed that you, know, you can get a deal over the line with yield alone. What I would say is that if you're stressed or a hairy credit looking to access the market, you're going to need to come with obvious shareholder support, obvious bank debt support, and you're going to need a much tighter covenant package than you've seen across the other markets. So it's not a slam dunk. They're pretty bespoke transaction. Bankers have been working on them for, since the early points of last year, but risk appetite is there if you're willing to price in a decent postcode from the buy side, you're able to show some green shoots of recovery and you're able to show that you've got the support of your shell. I like your phrase that you can get a deal over the line on yield alone. It's amazing how these larger yields are solving a lot of the problems that investors have been kind of highlighting in terms of recession risk and central bank risk and inflation risk. Once you're in double-digit yield, it feels a little bit more like an enticing possibility. Just quickly on that point, it's always a bit of a double-edged sword for the buy side, though, mm -hmm. not that, that double-digit coupon, but are they putting too much pressure on the company's cash? The interest mm -hmm. quite do. But yes, you're right. As soon as you hit a double-digit yield, you can just feel the eyes of the market light up in quite a dramatic way. Absolutely. So you also mentioned primary markets being a very much geared to refinancing with just 17% of this year's new issue in the M&A and LBO use of proceeds. What is the outlook for M&A as we come through what is definitely some challenging economic times? 
are we saying the bid ask still too wide to actually see M&A occur or are higher quality companies starting to, to circle and figure out, hey, this could actually be a great opportunity? What's the general outlook for M&A? I mean, I think this is a good chance for me to kind of present our, our sector analyst kind of views here and then, and then Luke can come in and give us, uh, you know, his views of what he's hearing in the market. You know, across our sector analysts, I, you know, by and large, kind of see a, a more subdued outlook for M&A. In some cases, it's due to lack of appetite, due to the challenges in the current market environment, or in other cases, it's a lack of capacity. And oftentimes it's both. We think there'll be rounds of portfolio optimization, and that'll create opportunities for new targets and bring out some acquirers that'll be sniffing around. There's also some repositioning that we think that could spur some activity. Markets are evolving. The competitive landscape is changing. Consumer demand continues to evolve as well. One example of this is for auto suppliers, you know, positioning ahead of major shifts towards electrification or some of the other mega trends. And so, you know, sure, there'll be exceptions to the rules, such as we're seeing with Iliad or, you know, EG Group. But, you know, by and large, I the, the, the broad view is that event risk is skewed more towards bolt-on activity over the very near term. Yeah, I think that's right. And you're already seeing in the loan markets, a lot of the, you know, M&A, LBO styled financings that have come through have been for bolt-on acquisitions. I mean, the market feels, banks feel more comfortable underwriting and some smaller transactions like that. What I'd say is, you know, been a shift in time in the last month or so. And a number of banks, most banks say they've been to committee, they put risk on, they, they, you know, they, they, they signed up to underwrite. So, you know, that bodes well for maybe a bit of a pickup in late Q3. We know there were some chunky P2Ps that have been being spoken about, but I have to stress this is all from a very low base. The valuation gap remains the single biggest issue. It, it's not the state of the debt financing market. It's Every bank you speak with, it's about the seller and it's just hitting their valuations. And that means you're already starting to see a little slightly different behavior. We've seen a few fund to fund transfers in the market assembling. I think it's the most recent one this week. I think you might start to see a few more dividend deals potentially because I think PE need to start to unlock a little bit of value and return it to LPs because they're not quite doing what they said they were going to do at the time of fundraising because they're not selling the assets they in the way that they they imagined they were going to do so but if we're going to be trying to continue to be glass half full banks continue to stress that they're open for underwrites but they are very selective too you know they got a lot of them got very burnt fingers last year and doing it again this year is just this is not ideal so they want good flex they want best in class credit sectors and so if i'm honest with you i think m a supply is just going to be very underwhelming this year even if it does pick up a bit that makes sense to me for the euro high yield market our official forecast on the credit site side is that we see about 50 billion of gross issuance this year so we're almost halfway there notably the euro high yield market tends to have a kind of back half loaded issuance strategy which is a little bit bizarre relative to the investment grade market and the u.s markets so we still feel pretty good about that 50 billion it's not a particularly large number by historic standards but it does kind of reflect some of the refinancing needs that need to get done and the, the little bit risk better receptivity to issuance with a subdued m a outlook 
So let's talk a little bit about sectors. Were there any kind of interesting audience questions or areas of focus during the presentations and the panels at the roadshow? So I can go first on that. I think my answer will be relatively short and quick, but the clear kind of focus was in terms of questions were relating to the real estate market. I think that's probably not that surprising given the turmoil and in some of the headlines recently. And it's probably also not surprising that SBB took the majority of the questions within those questions revolving around real estate. And that was kind of the takeaway. I think there was a little bit of a local emphasis as well. You know, in Paris, there's a bit more interest on, you know, some of the French issuers and, you know, Telecom Italia and Monte Apache came up in, in Milan as well, which, which I think you would probably come to expect. But the key takeaway was pretty much SBB was was front and center and under the spotlight. I'd agree with that. So, I mean, oddly as a, maybe not oddly as, as the journalist, I wasn't keen to let other people ask questions, Winnie, because, you know, that steals my thunder. But, but, you know, when we're thinking about sectors and what everybody else was speaking about, real estate, real estate, it's just, just kept coming up. It's the one that everyone on the panel said they're steering clear of. And I would note those on the sidelines. People do admit that everyone can see there's a potentially lo very large number of fallen angels that come from this sector. They'll end up eating, taking up a large part of the high yield index. So index trackers or those when shot to the index can't just ignore the sector outright. So I think there's plenty of work being done on the potential fallen angels from names you might like, where in the capital structure you might want to invest whilst potentially holding your nose a little bit, but might want to invest. But I think that's still further down the line, you know, the technical pressure of coming into the high yield market will make for better entry points for people. But I don't think even though everyone is, we don't real estate, we don't real estate on the record, I think off the record, people are looking at it a little bit more constructively than the noises make. I guess maybe I'll circle back for one more comment in terms of you know, not so much Q&A, but more sector focused or, you know, where do we love or where, where do clients hate to be at the moment? Retail is one that's a bit divisive at the moment, I think. It's definitely, we think it's an interesting one when you view it through the lens of what we talked about earlier, heightened selectivity across credits and some of the subsectors within retail. One of our analysts, and I'll try and quote him correctly here, stated that, you know, the consumer preference to smell nice is starting to take precedence over putting food on the table, which I think that comment is a little bit tongue in cheek. But certainly the trends that we've been seeing is that demand for travel, high-end luxury retail into the market as well. Um, these certainly look to be resilient and remain resilient while food is seeing susceptibility to down trading. And so again, I think this kind of just highlights the importance of selectivity in a market like this. Yeah, absolutely. The sector strategy side of the equation has been so hard for clients to get right over the past 12 months because so many of the typically defensive sectors also have duration associated with them or have had outsized inflationary pressures and haven't performed particularly well. Whereas consumers still want to take that trip to wherever it is they didn't get to go for a few years. And so sure, we'll buy the the generic baked beans or whatever it is rather than the name brand so we can still take those trips. So let's wrap it up. We have had a little bit more cautious view on the European markets relative to the U.S. from a strategy perspective. 
are we wrong? Did you walk away from this conference with a more positive outlook or is there kind of a case to be made for, you know, maybe we need to get a bit more constructive or double down on our negative or cautious outlook? I'd go to just repeat, I, I go, you know, Mark is feels glass half full at the moment and, and I'm probably about right. I think people are looking to put cash to work. And I think when the market is looking to buy risk, and then it's, it's a constructive backdrop than maybe we think. Absolutely. I don't think I'd be pounding the table on positivity or bullishness, but cautiously constructive is kind of as close as I could get to describing it as I can. And like, I think that's very well put, you know, clients are looking to buy risk and they're going to do so very selectively. Well, on that somewhat positive note. We're going to wrap up this podcast. Brian, Luke, thank you so much for joining me, for cluing me in on what has happened at our roadshow, highlighting the Levson capabilities of Credit Sites, Covenant Review, and Levson Insights. If anyone has follow-up questions for me, Brian, or Luke, you can always reach out to us using the Ask an Analyst feature on the Credit Sites website. Thank you so much for joining, and I hope everyone has a constructive second half of the year. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Winnie. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.